today, as we uh, go through, we talk about our uh, vision of love, live, and lead. And last week, we talked about love. And this week, we're talking about living sacrificially. And you know, and as soon as we talk about sacrifice, uh, it's interesting the words and the uh, emotions that get brought up through that. Sometimes we think about sacrifice uh, in a good way. We think about it in a way that I sacrifice in the, a way somebody gets the benefit of something. Uh, and so it's a great joy. But sometimes we think about sacrifices in this moment. I gave this and I gave that and I gave that. What more am I supposed to give? And then we look at sacrifice almost as if it's a burden. Do you, anybody get what I'm saying? The question that we go back to is when the Bible is talking about sacrificing, why? Why? What's the purpose of sacrifice to begin with? Why is it calling us to sacrifice? What's the idea, the motive behind it? Well, I want you to go with me this morning to Romans chapter 12. We're gonna be looking at verses one and two. So Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. And it starts out by saying this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." As the Apostle Paul starts out here, he has gone on for, again, there were no verses and chapters in the Bible, but when we go back and look at it, chapters one through 11, this whole long part, he has been laying out this, uh, the theology, the understanding of everything that's going on, of who God is, who we are, what's taken place, the sacrifice that's taken place, the promises that have been made, and then he starts out with verse, or with chapter 12 saying, I appeal to you therefore, after this long, drawn-out um, understanding of everything, he gets to a point of saying this, I'm calling you, because of all the evidence that's mounting, to make a decision, to make a choice. Well, what's the choice he's asking us to make? The things that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapters 1 through 11 are the amazing things of God's love and what he's done for us. He begins to go and remind us, like in Romans chapter three, he begins to tell us that we are justified from the guilt and penalty of sin. Justified meaning this, we stand guilty before God. And if we're gonna try to justify ourselves before God with good works or being a good person, there's nothing we can do. That's not what he wants. We, can't be, we cannot justify ourselves before God by being a better person. Can't do it. But God tells us something beautiful. You don't have to find any way to be loved. You are loved because I've justified you through my sacrifice. Not what you're going to do, what I have done for you. Think about this. Not only are we justified 
because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to strive to be accepted by God by trying to be better or perfect. Isn't that what we try to do, though? Aren't we, don't we try to be accepted by people by what we do? We try to buddy up next to people so that they'll like us better. We try to do things or say certain ways. We even sometimes change our persona in order to fit in because we want to be accepted. Or to the point of we're so sick of being rejected that we'll say, I don't care about any of y'all. I'm just gonna do my own thing. And we find our own acceptance that way. It's kind of a reverse that way. That's a little bit of rebellion I have within me. But God revealed to the Apostle Paul and began to show this through the Old Testament all the way up. You're no longer going to try. You, don't, you never have tried to be accepted by what you've done. It's all in what Jesus Christ has done. Not only have we been justified from our guilt and for the penalty of sin, we have been adopted when we stepped into Christ. We were an enemy of God, an enemy we don't want to think of it that way. We are an enemy of God because of our sin. And yet God, while we were still enemies, again, laid down his life, shed his blood, was buried, and rose from the grave. And I don't know of many people that look at enemies and then say, hey, do you want to be friends? Do you know of many people like that? You know, many people that sit there, once you've been an enemy, and sit there and goes, hey, how about we get together? Well, then what's the uh, craziness when all of a sudden God says, um, not only were you an enemy, and yes, I can call you my friend, but I'm also gonna adopt you into my family to be a son or a daughter, to be a child. See, that's foreign. But the love that God has is the adoption. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that we are no longer under law, but we are under grace. He has placed us under grace in a moment that we're not trying to again earn and perform, but we have been given grace that we didn't deserve. Not only that, but he's not asking us to do it on our own. But the very presence of God comes and dwells in those who have given their life to Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us so that we're never alone. And not only that, we've been given the power to follow what God wants. Not only that, but in the midst of affliction, in the midst of hurt and heartache and struggle, he promises to be of help. He tells us that we can have the perfect assurance when we stand before God at the very end that we are his and we can stand in confidence, not by what I've done, but what the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has done. Not only that, but I have confidence in this, that this world that is crazy and difficult, that God's still at work and his glory is here and is coming that this is not pointless what I'm going through, but that God's hand is in the midst of everything, bringing about for his glory, but for my benefit. Not only that, but he tells us that we can have confidence that there will never be anything that can separate us from the love of God. I don't know about you, but there have been times that I have been rejected by people 
sometimes dealing with family, sometimes dealing with those people you would have never thought that would have ever turned their back on you. And what's that feel like? And I'm gonna tell you the good news. Jesus Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then just one other thing. Even when I seem to fail and blow it, even when I seem that I can't get it all figured out, even when it seems that I have failed God, even when it seems in this moment that he's called me to do something and I have fallen flat on my face, I may not always be faithful, but he is always faithful. And because he is always faithful and his spirit lives within me, he is continuing to do a work inside of me. He's not done with me yet. Now, think about this, church. All that to be said in this. Why, when he calls us to sacrifice, would we sacrifice for him? Church, it's because he's given it all to us. He's given us everything. Point one in this, rest in the mercies of God. Rest in the mercies of God. Church, the first thing that we need to understand is this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why is he telling us this? And he's imploring us by saying, I beseech, because he says this, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. All the things I just told you are the mercies of God. When you start to meditate on everything that God has done for you, it changes things. It changes things. When I start to meditate on the things that people have not done for me, what do I do? I tell you right now. Right? Right? Now let me share with you. Same person that you're complaining about is probably complaining against you. Or somebody else is complaining against you. Because you've not lived up to expectations. You failed people. You've gone through all that. And when I focus on the people that have let me down, guess what? I become bitter, frustrated, angry, and I say, forget it. There's no sense in it. But when I meditate on the mercies of God, when I meditate on the fact that he shouldn't have given a care about me, he should have given up on me, he should have been, well, guess what? When I meditate on that, oh, it changes things. It changes things. Because even if I can't figure it all out, there are moments that I go like this. I go, maybe I need to give a little bit of grace. Maybe I need to figure out how to love the way that Christ loves. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's things that change. The sacrifice that he's calling me to make is not based on, good grief, have I not given enough? It's the fact that he gave it all. What am I complaining about? What am I, what, I am focused on the wrong thing when sacrifice is a burden instead of a joy. I'm sacrificed on the wrong thing. Again, listen, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
When we rest in the mercies of God, the pressure is off. We're no longer performing to be loved by God. We already are loved by God. So I'm not sacrificing in order to earn something. I'm sacrificing because it's already been given all to me. Make sense? Let's go on. As it goes on, it tells us this again. It then says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The second part of this, the second point today is surrender yourself to God. Surrender yourself to God. Now think about this when he says this. He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, God had constructed a understanding that they were going to bring a sacrifice for their sins. And they were going to have to bring it so often, whether that be yearly or different times, or, but whenever it was going to be brought, these different sacrifices, depending on what they were and the time frame, weekly, daily, whatever it is, as they bring them, they're bringing a sacrifice, and yet what's the problem with bringing that sacrifice? You gotta keep doing it. And the thought process in this moment as they bring the sacrifice is this, I am taking this life in substitution for my own. This animal that didn't do anything is put in this moment and I'm having to take life. And then I'm gonna have to take it again the next time I do it. No matter what, it's never good enough. Never good enough. Then we get to the New Testament and Jesus lays down his life and he lays it down once for all. I also find it interesting at this point, this is just a side note, but I also find it interesting at this point in time that after a point in time, the Jews have never been able to sacrifice again because of the way the Temple Mount is and everything that's set up this way. I find it interesting that God sets these things up this way. They're not able to. In fact, the Jews have changed it. Instead of giving a sacrifice, which is called in the Old Testament, you now listen to the different rabbis and they've gone, well, since we can't do that, we're now doing these actions and stuff to make up for the sacrifice. I'm telling you this right now. God knows what he's doing. God has specifically set it up that even the Jews are having to even wonder why they can't lay out the sacrifice. It's because it's already been done. His name is Jesus. In the midst of this sacrifice, though, that Jesus has done once and for all, he then looks at us that have put faith in Jesus, that has forgiven us for our wickedness, our nastiness, and he's forgiven it all, past, present, future. Everything's covered under the blood. And then he tells us, now, the sacrifice, you, you be a living sacrifice. You be a living sacrifice, pleasing, acceptable to God. Now, I always laugh when pastors say this, but I'll use it. What's the problem with a living sacrifice? Still alive. It likes to crawl off the altar. It likes to, 
It likes to go, oh, well, Jesus, I'll give you this, but not this. A living sacrifice means what he's calling for. What's acceptable? What's holy? He is saying, as the Apostle Paul is telling us, what he's asking for you is everything in your life. Greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other one is love your neighbor as yourself, right? Now, why did he say heart, mind, soul, and strength? Why did he say that? Okay, you can speak up, it's okay. What? I can't hear the mumbling, what? It's your whole body, it's everything about you, right? Because you know what we tend to do? Here's what we tend to do. Oh, sure, I'll love you with that, but not with this. We make conditions on how we love. God makes no conditions. He has to tell us to make sure it's holistic because if not, we'll do the outward thing and the inward thing will be far from God. There's nothing different. In the Old Testament, when they used to give sacrifices, sometimes the Jews would end up bringing something that was sickly. You know why they would bring sickly? Because if they brought the best, they would lose money. They would lose livelihood. They would lose something. So guess what? We'll give him the sickly thing because he wants a sacrifice, so here you go. It's the same thing that we do now. Bring a living sacrifice and we say, oh yeah, absolutely. I went to worship, I hate my neighbor, but I went to worship, thank you, Lord. I tell you what, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I'm gonna do whatever you want, but if you're gonna tell me that I have to go to work and be a good employee, no, because my boss is a jerk, so it doesn't count. Lord, I want you to know that, yes, I'm gonna do my best, but if you only understood my family, I think Jesus understands family, okay? Brothers betray, don't pay attention. People, it, it, there is nothing that we, heart, mind, body, soul, everything about us is called to be laid down. There's nothing we get to withhold, nothing. It's 100% all laid. And here's the thing. When it says this, listen to this. Why are we called to do this? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, now, I looked at that word spiritual, but if you've got a different English translation, what's the other word that can be there? Proper. Proper. What's another word? Reasonable. reasonable. Let's think about spiritual, proper, and reasonable. Spiritual, we want to give that some kind of high-mindedness and everything and kind of supernatural, but think about proper and reasonable. If, Let's just use an example. Let's say that you have a debt and you have a deep debt that you have to pay. And all of a sudden your parents come along and they say, you know what? We are gonna 100% pay and wipe out that debt. It's 100% gone. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to have that burden over you. We did that because we love you and we wanted to take care of you. What would be, how would you tend to respond to them? Huh? Thankful? Some people would say suspicious. <laughs> what do you really want, right? But let's say you have 
reasonable parents, let's say that they have paid this debt, would it be a, would it be a proper response to burn their house down? Would it be a proper response to uh, take their vehicle and run it off a bridge and to destroy it? Now, that, that, wouldn't make, that wouldn't be reasonable at all, right? Think about the reason why Jesus is asking you to be a living sacrifice. He's asking you to be a living sacrifice because you had a debt that he's 100% paid because he loves you. This is your reasonable response. This is your proper response. This is your spiritual response. What else can you do when somebody has given it all? There's nothing you can do other than to be grateful and say, oh God, thank you. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, but thank you. And what do you want from me? Everything. So God, I'm gonna tell you, I'm pretty pitiful. I'm still selfish, but you live inside of me. And so thus, I'm learning to give everything to you, whatever you want. Nothing is no, it's no longer mine. Well, ex ex except for my personal time. I mean, you know, in my personal time. That's a little sarcasm. I mean, God, you can have anything, just, just, not, just, just, just not the Netflix series I'm watching right now, okay? Just, Lord, you can have anything I want. Just please don't call me to go minister to those type of people. I mean, please, I mean, come on, God, they're jerks. I mean, surely you wouldn't ask me. A living sacrifice is fully presented to God with no strings attached. And it's reasonable and it's proper and that's spiritual. Now, as it goes on, it says this. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, wait a minute. Let me go back real quick. Let me go back real quick. On surrender yourself to God, I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of y'all have ever ridden a roller coaster? How many people have ridden a roller coaster? What was that like? Okay, what was that like for you, Rebecca? What was it? Scary. What was it like for somebody else? Fun? Exhilarating? Okay, watch this. I'm 18, never ridden a roller coaster in my entire life, okay? Go to King's Island. This is when the vortex was big, okay? They had just had the beast. You had the beast, and then they had the vortex. Just came out and everything. So I went there with the youth group because that's what you do, right? So we go there, and we get in there, and so we're riding, and so I get in line that's forever to ride this ride, and I was like, I've never been on one. So everybody said, I'm gonna share with you right now. Here's the best thing you can do because I know you're scared. When you get to the very top of the hill, just scream so you can let out all your air so that you don't, you know, get sick or whatever, and just, it'll, it'll, it'll be okay, right? This is what you need to do, Sean. So I'm all freaked out, so we go up, we're going up, we're going up, finally on there, and I'm sitting next to everybody, and everybody else around me is like going, hey, 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 we can go ride next, we're this, and I'm just like going, I'm gonna die. And so, and so we're going up, and as we're going up, and we're going up, and we're going up, we go over the top, and I'm like going, what did they tell me to do when we get to the top and go over, what? Scream, Scream right? Well, there's only one problem. The, the beast, the beast would go up, and it would go down. The vortex would go up, and there's a little runoff before it would drop down. <laughs> So when we get to the top and I'm towards the back, we go like this. I go, oh, my God. oh man. Ah! And so the entire time I'm like going, ah! I have no oxygen. There's nothing going on. People next to me 
are enjoying this, one, because they like it, and two, because I'm highly entertaining. <laughs> so it's like the entire time going, I'm gonna die, and everybody else is like going, this is the greatest thing ever! When you surrender to God, it should not be, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. The surrender to God, because it's on, God is on, he's got you on the tracks. You're not gonna fly off. You're not gonna go anywhere. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. It doesn't feel like it, but he didn't ask you how you felt. He asked you, did you trust him? So when you ride in the will of God and you surrender everything to yourself, it's not, I can't believe I gave this up for God. It's God, you're worth it because of everything you've given to me. So in the middle of faith, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't gotten to this point yet and I'm learning to quit gripping and complaining and whining and throw your hands up and go, God, you are good on this ride. You've given everything and you have me and wherever you're taking me is good because you're faithful and it's, it's joy. It's a surrender to God out of joy. Listen to this in Hebrews 12 too. Hebrews 12.2 tells us something that is crazy that I haven't been able to fully get or understand. And then I gotta find it in my Bible. All right, here we go. Hebrews 12.2, listen to this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to this again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. The joy endured the cross. He was a sacrifice. He did it for the Father, and it was joy. Now, we know he suffered. We know he went through things. But I'm telling you, for joy. Church, living sacrificially is not a burden because of everything that Christ has done for us. If you are burdened by your sacrifice, you're doing it all for the wrong reason. All for the wrong reason. If you're not figuring out how to have joy in the midst of sacrifice, it's all about you instead of all about what he's done. Isn't that the struggle that we all go through? But watch this, if I'm on the ride, if I'm on the Jesus ride, he knows what he's doing. All right, Lord, teach me because you've done it all and I'm going with you. Now this last part that we go to, put it up on there, please, Samuel. Chapter two, or Romans 12, verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, when we look at this, we think about what is it is to be a living sacrifice. Point three, join God in his workings within and without Join God in his workings within and without. God's at work within me and outside of me. And he's asking me to join with him what he's doing. Now, part of this living sacrifice is this. Do not be conformed to this world. This world that we live in is going to have times where it's trying to point us to things away from kingdom-minded thinking. 
It's going to work in ways to take us away from kingdom-minded thinking. And so the warning beseeching is this, a living sacrifice is going to not be conformed. You're gonna use your mind. Now, this, will be a, this is gonna be a challenge because at times I've run into people that say this, I, I don't ever think about anything, I just, I just, I just trust God. I'm gonna tell you, the Bible tells you that you're supposed to consider. You're supposed to think. It didn't ask you to get a degree, a master's, a PhD. That's not what it's talking about. But Jesus is saying the very brain and faculties that I've given you, think. Think. Scariest thing in this world is that if everybody's doing it, it has to be right. Now, you're gonna say, well, Sean, yes, I know right now. You're gonna talk about all them weird, bad people out there. I'm telling you, there are times Christians stamp God on things and it has nothing to do with God. But because everybody in the church is doing it, it has to be right. Hey, wake up. The only way if I know something is correct is if I am seeking after a relationship with God and asking him to give me his word correctly. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind. I was born into sin. So guess what? I think in sinful ways. I think in selfish ways. I think in ways that are benefiting for me and not for others. I think in ways that are going to make me feel better and forget everybody else. But when I begin to renew my mind, I begin to say this, Lord, it's no longer what I think or what I feel. or It's what do you say? And correctly looking at your scripture, correctly engaging you in relationship, correctly seeing people through your eyes, correctly seeing situations through your eyes. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. As we get into God's word, with seeking after God, we will find a renewal in relationship. Now, let me share with you this. If you're going to read this and not seek after God, you are gonna be worse than anybody you've ever run into. How can you say that, Sean? Because I see the Pharisees and I see the Sadducees. I see people that took the scripture and yet killed Christ when the scriptures pointed to Christ but they couldn't even see Christ. You know the interesting thing about Christianity? Interesting thing about Christianity is it calls us to use our mind. Any religion that tells you that you can't question and ask questions, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. When you can't ask questions in order to understand, it scares me to death. Scares me to death. Now, logic is not the epitome of things. Faith is. That's what the Bible tells us. But Jesus, all throughout, tells us, consider the lilies. Think about them. Consider the cost before you go to battle. Think about it. Everything. Think about what's going on. Think. Ask. Seek. Knock. And it shall be opened. When he says this, 
Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of y'all wanna know what the will of God is? You know what I have found? As soon as we say that, what we really mean is this. I wanna know what God's specific will is for me. Forget the rest of y'all. I just wanna know about me. Lord, you want me to have this house? You want me to have this car? You want me to have this? Get me which job you want me to have? Lord, what do you want to have this? Is this person? I don't know. Lord, what specific? You know, I'm going to go back to you and bring this point up. Specific will is important, but to discern and understand God's general already revealed will. If we can't even get to that, why are we going after specific? See, Paul... Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Climbing up the ranks, knew the Torah. People looked at him and said, now that's somebody that's spiritual. And he was killing Christians left and right for the zeal of God. Have you noticed, have you noticed that there is a lot of things that we'll do in the name of God that don't look anything like God? And then we'll stamp his approval on it. Can't have no heretics. You're right. But you got to think about what is it that God's saying of how to deal with that? I don't think murder was on the point. How was Paul loving God and loving others? The renewing of our mind makes sure that we don't take one verse here out of the Bible and one verse, and I'm, I'm going to lovingly say this, church. I've done it, and I'm going to say this. I'm going to, please stop taking one, two, six verses and using that as a platform as the only way God's speaking. The whole thing was given to us to understand in all of context, not six verses. All of it. And as I am in God's work, seeking after relationship with him because of all that he's done and not just trying to stand on just principles. It's relationship. And out of that relationship, it tells us, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You'll be able, you will be able to do what God's commanding us to do already revealed. We're trying to get to the specific we're not even doing the general. Now, what's the good news of all this, church? Why is he telling us, why is he telling us a sacrificial living? It's not because we need to give more. It's because we've been bought with a price by the God who loves us. And the things that he's asking us to die to are the very things that killed us and separated us from God. Separated us from him. The things he's asking us to sacrifice are the things that get in the way of relationship so that we can walk with him perfectly and holy, knowing his full love so that lies don't get in. Do you know how many lies that have gotten in that have told us, God doesn't love you, you're unworthy, you can't be loved. You ever, you ever been motivated by shame and guilt within church? Anybody done that? Anybody want to confess to that? Maybe some of you haven't. Praise be unto God. I was shamed at times. 
Can't believe you didn't bring your Bible today. Great, go to Sunday school. Okay, you brought your tithe, didn't read your lesson, didn't bring your Bible. But look at you, you got all five and you got perfect attendance. Here's a pen. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. What I'm saying is this. Did that really promote us to loving God or was that more about me getting accolades? Now, if you got those and it made you say yes because it was making me a checklist to make sure I was loving God, then I'm glad you used it the right way. But I'm gonna tell you right now, that's not what happened to most people. Most people had pins lined up from here talking about how great they were. And some of us sitting there going, oh my goodness, I can't believe I didn't show up and I didn't do this and I didn't do that and I didn't do this and I didn't do that. And man, how can I show my face? Does God even love me? I'm a wretch versus this. I was a wretch and God gave it all and he loves me. So that when I don't perform the way I need to, it's not a guilt and a shame. It's a conviction to say, I gave it all to you and I love you, come follow me. You wanna know the way to life? Come follow me. I've given it all for you. Come follow me, church. Why are you called to lay it all down? Why are you called holistically with everything within you to give it to God completely without any type of withholding? Because he gave it all for you. Amen? That changes things. It should. Where's God calling you to live sacrificially with joy and following him today? As we come to the altar, as the praise team's coming up, as they're coming up now, I want you to know, and I want you to listen to me real quick as we're closing up. If you're gonna start with God by doing better without starting with a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you've missed the whole point today. You stand before God guilty of your sin and you stand before the God who is perfect that has commanded you to be perfect. But I'm gonna give you the good news. He gave you the law, the 10 commandments. He gave you the law, not so that you could see how perfect you were. He actually loved you enough to give you the law to see how sick you are. Because when you look at the Ten Commandments and you figure it out, you realize I've broken them. I've totally broken them. I've broken them all. And God loved you enough to give you that to say this. I showed you that so that you would know that you're sick. And I'm the great physician. Because you need a surgery that can only be done by a brand new heart. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus goes, how can I be born again? It can never be done with man. It must be done by faith in Jesus Christ. If you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and I am a sinner, God, that I have broken your law, I stand in the midst of your wrath and yet you chose to send your love and your son that whosoever puts faith in Jesus Christ, whoever repents of their sins and turns towards Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection and that desires that relationship and says, God, I need you and I'm desperate for you. He says, come, you are forgiven. You are my child and I've adopted you and taken you. You never have to worry about these things again and I'll change you from the inside out of what it means to live for me. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's where you need to start because that's what it means to have a relationship with God. 
you don't have joy in your life, maybe you need to ask God, Lord, how do I sacrifice with joy? And today, maybe some of you are saying, God, I've only given you part of me, but Lord, I'm convicted today. Help me to give all of me to you, every ounce of my life. Let's pray. Father, do what you need to do. Your will be done. You're already speaking to your people. Lord, you're already speaking to me. We love you. We praise you. May we be obedient to do what you've called us to do. Amen.